Welcome to Secure Freedom Radio. This is Frank Afney, your host and guide for what I think of as an intelligence briefing on the war for the free world. Men whose intelligence we have plumbed from time to time, but not in altogether too long a time, I'm sorry to say, is that of James Carafano. He is one of the grand poobah at uh, the Heritage Foundation. He runs its Catherine and Shelby Cullum Davis Institute for National Security. He is a very formidable force in the public policy arena on national security matters, a 25-year Army veteran with a PhD from Georgetown University. He is, among other things, um, a champion of a strong U.S. military and the practice of peace through strength, and therefore always very welcome here. Jim, good to have you with us. Welcome back, sir. Hey, it is Great to be with you, and and a real honor. I mean, we've known each other really long time. A millennium. Um, all, great admirer of your work, and 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 uh, so great that you continue to do this, and and such a fan of the show. Thank you, Jim. It's great to have you with us as always. So, um, first up, late last night, Joe Biden spent three hours, we're told, conversing with the well dictator of China, now the man who has been entrusted by the Sixth Party plenum with powers that by some measures exceed those of Mao Zedong himself. What do you think actually transpired in the course of those three hours, Jim? And what does it mean for us? Well, I, look, I think it was a nothing burger, you know, with nothing sauce and a side of nothing. Um, I, I actually don't that would think be they good accomplished news, I would think anything. Well, see, <laughs> people would normally say, well, that's good news. Nothing bad happened. But my argument would be, look, you have to put this in context. Here you have a tremendously weakened president who is uh, questioned both at home and abroad over his competency, um, over, over his mental acuity. And he has a three hour meeting with America's most important adversary in the world. And he doesn't hammer them on COVID. He doesn't hammer them on the Olympics. He, on the Uyghur genocide, um, he doesn't uh, hammer them on Taiwan. It, you know, instead they have like a nice Zoom chat like you have with grandma. And normally you would say, well, that's what you're going to get when world leaders talk, you know. And, but this is not a normal thing. The president looks weak. Not standing up to China, I think, domestically is a disaster for him. I think the, the, the mainstream press will, will be say wonderful things about this, but, but Americans will say, you, you talk to this guy and you didn't hammer him on anything that, that we worry about. And I, I think it makes him look weak domestically. Globally, I think it, it looks like advantage G, um, you know, who, who the American president was afraid to challenge him. So I, I, I think in normal times, the normal president, it, it would be, um, you know, Tuesday. But for Biden, I actually, I actually think he's, it's a bad day. I have a theory, Jim, and let me just run this by you, because um, as you said, Joe Biden's mental acuity has been a concern for many of us for some time. And the fact that he spent two hours on the phone with Xi Jinping back in February, an hour and a half on the phone with him in, I think it was October, and now three hours on a Zoom call, strains credulity that he could actually participate in any meaningful way in such a protracted, well, any one of those things, let alone all three. And this raises the question to my mind of, so what is going on there? I think you're right that he didn't seemingly challenge Xi, but did he take dictation from him? 
I guess is what it comes down for me. Are we watching, you know, the complete submission of this president and therefore our nation to, as you say, our most dangerous adversary, arguably ever? Well, of course, if this had been Trump, everything would have already been leaked. But the one, one thing you have to remember is um, they have they're doing sequential translation. Uh, I'm I'm sure. Um, or, or even if they're doing, you know, simultaneous translation, there's a delay. So um, it's probably three hours is probably an hour and a half of real conversation because of the, the translation. Um, uh, but um, I think it's consistent with the way this administration and there's been a shift in, in this administration on China. And it's very pronounced. And I don't know if people have picked it up. We know when, when Obama came into office, the first two years, we used to joke that it was kind of Bush light. I mean, he got rid of all the Obama, you know, and you know, global war rhetoric and everything else. But he really did didn't do anything different on in Iraq, Afghanistan, Guantanamo Bay. Then, you know, once Obama really got his confidence in his feet, of course, he, he was dramatically different. And and it looked nothing like actually any of the things he said on the campaign trail. But it took him two years to kind of get his feet. You have to remember these. This, these are all the Obama people back again. And when Biden came in office, in substance, he was actually pretty good on China, on Taiwan, on the Uyghurs, and other issues. And and a lot of people thought, oh well, this isn't so bad. At least he's good on China. That has begun to dramatically shift, and and he's really adopted uh, or shifted back into the Obama way of doing things. And it's this this formula of compete where we must and cooperate where we can. And so it's constantly looking for ways to find equilibrium with the Chinese. And so it's probing for, well, what can we agree on? What can we do together? Um, and it's avoiding the difficult issue. It's, it's exactly the opposite of the way of Trump dealt with it. And it plays and, and it's becoming more pronounced um, as the, Jim, let me, let the, me just... the handlers are moving him back in the Obama way of doing things. Yeah. And, let, let me push back, though, and just a little advantage bit. G. Because it's, you know, well, I agree with that in the bottom line, but but I'm not sure that, you know, there's this sort of um, neutral position that we're in at the moment. It seems to me that um, you're right. It seems increasingly that what's happening is that he's doing Xi's bidding. He's accommodating. And and I, I have to believe that one of the things that's going to be uh, dropping soon is uh, an accommodation on these tariffs, uh, one of you know, the most important hallmarks of the pushback against China of the Trump era, of course. So if it were just, you know, that he's uh, not doing any harm, uh, that would be one thing. But it seems to me probably you're right at the psychological level for sure, Jim, that we're seeing him convey a sense to Xi that um, he is the top dog and we are not. Um, the waning power, yes, but not uh, even the rival. But what we're watching is uh, more and more accommodations, don't you think? I, I do think it's real harm. And, you know, use the Olympics as a, as a good example. If the, when the United States doesn't be demonstrative about the Uyghur genocide and 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 not visibly demanding that the Olympics be moved or very li at least saying that no government official from any respectable country on earth ought to attend that when essentially you do nothing, which is which is because we don't want to antagonize the Chinese. That's an enormous advantage to the Chinese, because then they will turn to every government in every corner of the world and they say, you must show up in Beijing and support us. And this will be a massive statement that the world doesn't care about the Uyghurs. On, on a par, I would argue, with 1936 in terms of legitimating a terribly 
despotic and dangerous regime, um, as was done with the Olympics in Berlin for Hitler. But here's the difference, though. No, there's a big difference here. In 36, Hitler waited until after the game before he really launched his most egregious atrocity. When Putin hosted the Soji game, the, uh, the, 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 the Winter Games, he waited until after the game before he invaded Crimea. The Chinese have been perpetuating a genocide knowing that they're going to host the Olympics. And what's worse, they have been accelerating their genocide going up to the Olympics. No authoritarian, no country in the history of the Olympics has ever consciously committed gross human rights abuses in, in anticipation of the Olympics and demanded that the rest of the world just turn a blind eye and ignore it. It's absolutely I, I think that's a fair point. And, and the trouble is, of course, uh, we have a treaty obligation to not just hold them accountable for genocide, but to punish them for it. And far from doing that, as you say, we are going to be rewarding them. But Jim, I, I guess the key point here is they may be postponing until after the Olympics, the invasion of Taiwan. And we should be very alive to the fact that that's, I think, in prospect now, don't you think? I Look, I, I, I'm actually in the camp that thinks why would you invade Taiwan when you have Joe Biden? He is doing everything you need to empower and engage. And, and if you play, you keep playing this game, Taiwan will just fall into your lap because they'll have no other choice. That, that may be the case. On the other hand, I, I do think that for internal reasons, perhaps among other things, they may decide you do it because you do have Joe Biden. You know, if not now, when? Well, yeah, um, it's never the, going to be this better. Is the thing is, we should not be having this conversation, right? We oh, should not be worrying not. about whether the president of the United States, in his incompetence and in his cowardness, is actually creating a situation where we're worried about Taiwan being invaded because of our inability to exercise a competent foreign policy. You know, it may be worse than all of that. It may be his co-option, his... Um, you know, essentially having been uh, completely suborned by the Chinese that uh, that is operating here, as well as his mental condition. I had uh, our friend Sam Faddis on the calls uh, on the show recently talking about the Manchurian president and the fact that uh, his his uh, cabinet and, and other subordinates look like Xi's dream team. I mean, this is something that I think has to be factored into what he's doing or not doing, Jim, as well. Yeah, I mean, it would be nice if we had vetted that before the election. I mean, if you, you if you think back, <laughs> yeah, Biden's I mean, laptop, think back to among the un- other things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you think back to the unbelievable way they assaulted um, Donald Trump on this Russian thing, which was ab- absolutely, totally, completely fabricated and made up, we know now, and actually political assault on him. And we got we got not only did we not get the scrutiny that it deserved, the the press actually you know piled on, and then they did the absolute reverse under Biden. They actually refused to have a, a legitimate discussion about the the foreign influences on the administration. They refused to do that, and they buried it. And big tech cooperated with that. Well, so and this, actually this is, actively this is how suppressing died. information. No, you're exactly right, uh, as yeah, the Washington Post absolutely. says in the darkness. But here we had the you know universal approach of these various media outlets, uh, with the notable exception of one or two, uh, I think it's specifically the New York Post, to proof that the Chinese Communist Party had bought Joe Biden through his son Hunter on his laptop. And that was completely suppressed. And we know now that um, some 10% of people who voted for Biden say they wouldn't have if they'd known. So you're absolutely right. This is uh, This is collusion in 
co-option and for depriving the public of information they needed to know to vet this fellow. Let me ask you quickly about two other things, Jim. Uh, again, our guest is Jim Carafano, one of the uh, eminent figures, uh, vice president of the Heritage Foundation, former Army Lieutenant Colonel. Let me ask you specifically about the product that you produce annually. Uh, Dakota Wood, one of your subordinates there, is just a terrific editor of um, a book that provides an index of U.S. military strength on an annual basis. This comes out in short time after a report out of the Pentagon about Chinese military power. They now call it military and security developments uh, involving the PRC. But compare and contrast quickly, if you would, Jim, uh, against the backdrop of what we've just been talking about, about um, Xi feeling his oats and um, Biden signaling weakness. So what, what our index does, which is really unique, and it's the most comprehensive unclassified assessment of U.S. military capability in the world, it runs like 600 pages. And it's all online, too. So um, you can go to the website and, and see all the information. What we do is we provide military power in context. So we just don't like say how many ships and planes does the U.S. have, but we look at what are all the U.S. military capabilities that we bring to the table. And we look at what do the Russians bring to the table? What do the Chinese bring to the table? Um, and you know, what do the Iranians bring to the table? What's got North Korea got? And we look at it in context. If we had to fight them in the Taiwan Straits, you know, in the Sabaki Gap, you know, what, what is, how does the, the, what allies and the infrastructure in that region, how does that impact? And so we look at all the aspects of, of how military competition plays out and we grade them in the same way every year. And to me, the, the real headline is, 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 is if you look at the, the Trump years, because we had a peace through strength president and we were making sustained investment, you could definitely see readiness and in many areas, modernization creep up and, and a real recovery from the Obama years. I don't think that's up for question. What's remarkable is um, even though there's kind of a, you know, a lag time, right, between when a budget comes out and everything else, um, between when you see the impacts of presidential decisions and policies. So next year, we'll see the full, the full weight of Obama policy, um, Biden policies. We already begin to see a slip and decline in, in readiness and capability, both because our adversaries are heavily investing and and Biden is consciously de-investing. Jim, this is of profound concern because, as you say, when you look at it in context, there's no doubt that the Chinese most especially are accelerating their nuclear capabilities. Uh, they've introduced hypersonic uh, systems. They've got the largest navy in the world, and there's some predictions that they will double it in size in the next 10 years, um, virtually all of it being in the Western Pacific, where we have half of our much smaller fleet. I mean, these are the sorts of things that it seems to me lend themselves to, well, at the very least, miscalculation if not a quite informed calculation that the Chinese can work their will, uh, whether it's against Taiwan or Japan or South Korea or us for that matter, and um, do so with impunity. That's certainly not an impression we want to leave with them. Is there any hope that we're going to see corrective action taken to disabuse them of that possible conclusion? Well, well I think there's kind of um, a couple of causes to not panic. One is, you know, thank God for the Trump years. You know, it was like a blood transfusion. So the patient didn't die. So that infusion of investment and attention for four years made a big difference. Um, and, and I think can sustain us for, for a, a while. The other is um, Congress 
as a whole is actually more forward-leaning on defense than the president. They put out a much higher number in the the uh, National Defense Authorization Bill, which will get voted on in the Senate this week. Um, the the, the co- Congress is actually leaning forward on defense. So those are all good things. And and let, let the other thing is, let's be honest, um, I think this is a one-term president. And, uh, and, I, and I think this gets to a really, really important point, which I think whoever wants to be the next president really needs to understand. Um, Americans were very comfortable with a peace through strength president, and they don't want to worry about miscalculation or being bullied or anything else. They want a strong defense. And the next president better damn well be prepared to walk in office on day one and start to fix it. You know, I, th- I think it's going to be similar in, in the immigration and border issue. I don't think the next president's going to have an option. I think they're going to get voted in with not just a mandate, but with a demand from the American people to secure the border and start deporting people. And they better be organized and prepared to do that on the day one. So if, if you're thinking about being the next president of the United States, Americans have a really big to-do list. Jim Carafano, we're going to leave it at that. I'm afraid we're out of time. And I know you've got another uh, program you have to get onto. I did want to just salute you for a very important piece that uh, your colleague Bruce Klinger published uh, the other day entitled End of Korean War Declaration Could Have Serious Alliance Security Consequences. Um, We'd love to have you back to talk about that. And we'll see if we can get Bruce on. But this is a major focus for our program at the moment. And uh, we hope we can nip in the bud this uh, so-called HR 3446 uh, lunacy. Right. 